Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Grain by Train podcast for Grain Week 45, where we discuss how rail service performance is impacting the movement and export of Western Canadian grain. I'm Greg Northey from Pulse Canada, and I'm joined, as always, by Mil Poirier of QGI Consulting, who manages the Ag Transport Coalition, a consortium of agriculture groups that produce data and reports on rail service and performance. How are you doing today, Milt? I'm great, Greg. How are you? Pretty good. So we're on to week 45 that we released uh, just uh, in the past uh, little while. Uh, what uh, what are you seeing in the report? Good service all around? For the most part, I think that's uh, an accurate statement. Um, in week 45 specifically, I guess we could say that CN and CP took a very small step backwards from the prior week, but still, all in all, you know, exceptionally good performance. CN fulfilling 96% of orders and CP 97% of orders, you know, just to put that in context, that, that step back is from 97 and 99 the week before. So, so yes, a little bit worse, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, still very good performance. Much the same on a provincial basis, you know, all the provinces from both railways saw 90% plus order fulfillment, um, which is very good across the board. Really only Alberta uh, saw a step back in week 45. Um, And again, much like at the system level, even with that, both railways delivered, you know, 90% um, in the low 90s overall for for Alberta. The Vancouver corridor really was the issue uh, for both CN and CP. And it's not that their performance was, you know, significantly poor in that corridor. It was just the worst performing corridor uh, for Alberta shippers, which mirrored, by the way, what we saw at a system level, right? Um, CN and CP were exceptional in in all corridors, but the one corridor where they did lag a little bit um, was Vancouver. Uh, Not sure exactly why that was in week 45, but that was the case. So yeah, um, you know, all round, still very good. Um, and we expect it to continue, frankly. So I'd be surprised if, if it took a, a turn downward anytime soon. Yeah, I think we'll definitely keep our eye on that, uh, that, that slight Vancouver decline. Hopefully, hopefully nothing systemic there, just a, a little blip, but uh, we'll be watching that in the, in the weeks coming up. Um, now, we had quite a discussion uh, a few weeks ago on the KCS merger, the Kansas City Southern merger, uh, and CNCP's uh, role in that essentially that CN now is the the preferred merger partner for KCS. Uh, it's been a bit quiet, but in the past uh, week or so, we've seen a bit of a reemergence around the story. Both CN and CP are, are doing quite a bit of uh, publicity, you know, uh, trying to earn the the hearts and minds of, of shippers, governments, etc. Have you seen anything uh, resurface this week, particularly that caught your eye around this uh, proposed merger? Yeah, it's interesting. As you say, you know, we had the initial um, fanfare around the agreement that that CN or sorry CP had with KCS, and everything looked rosy and sweet. And then CN came out with an offer, and then CN came out with a revised offer, and, and KCS decided to switch their loyalties and and walk away effectively from the deal that they had with CP um, and and settle on CN as their preferred uh, merger partner. CP, when that happened, um, it's interesting. They decided actually to remain fairly quiet, I thought, um, although it 
probably wasn't reasonable to think that they were going to stay quiet for long, but rather than I think react um, significantly in the media when when the initial announcement from KCS uh, happened that they were going to accept CN's offer, I think they took the time to go away and, and think through what they wanted their messaging to be. And, and I think last week we saw uh, the beginning of, um, you know, that messaging or media strategy. And, and as you say, targeted not just at shippers, um, but at regulators, and most specifically the Surface Transportation Board, which is where CN's fate uh, will lie, uh, because that's ultimately who is going to decide whether or not this merger can move forward and under what conditions the merger can move forward, equally important. So, you know, since the agreement between CN and KCS, CP has been, you know, unfailingly steady in, in their message. And one thing that they have said very clearly is they're not going to get into a bidding war with CN. In other words, you know, so CN ups their ante to 30 billion or whatever that number was. CP did not react by saying, well, we'll throw in an extra billion and, and make it a financial race. They believe their offer is fair and have been pretty steadfast in that belief. In addition, CP has been very consistent in uh, expressing its view that um, money was not the ultimate issue that was going to decide this merger, but it was going to be competitive issues in the marketplace and that their application was better positioned on that front than CN's. And ultimately, this would be the issue that the STB would rule on and CP believes rule against the proposed CN KCS merger. So that's kind of been their, their twin um, messaging stream, if you, if you would, since the CNKCS thing was announced. Now, this last week, um, they came out with, uh, you know, uh, a media proclamation, if you will, that they titled Myths Versus Reality. And they, they basically identified a series of specific points that CN has made in their media pronouncements around the proposed merger and try to offer uh, uh, what they would describe CP as a factual response to those statements to basically suggest that CN is, you know, misleading regulators or shippers or, um, you know, making the picture sound rosier than it may actually be. Now, the specific areas that CP has come out with um, kind of highlight two things. Um, the issue of competitive alternatives for shippers um, and whether or not those will be reduced um, as a result of the CN-KCS merger. CP has always maintained that they would be. CN has maintained that they would not be. And part of that same discussion is CN has now come out and proposed, um, at least initially, some uh, divestments of track. Uh, particularly in Louisiana, down in the Baton Rouge, uh, New Orleans area, where there is a duplication of network between KCS and CN. And CN has basically said, hey, we're going to sell this, this section of track, and this will alleviate some of the competitive concerns for the STB. And CP has basically come out and said, you know, well, actually it won't. And they have some facts to support that. 
The other issue is, you know, CN has made this, this uh, merger application seem like the financial issues are nothing that should be overly concerning to um, the marketplace uh, or specifically to their shareholders. CP makes the case that um, CN, in order to complete this merger under the terms that have been, you know, put out there publicly, needs to take on $19 billion, that's billion with a B, in new debt. And that at the level that CN has valued uh, the KCS assets, it represents the highest valuation for a class one merger in history. Um, and that, you know, the money is a real thing. Uh, if you recall, um, when CN came out with its revised uh, offer, uh, where they went to 29 or $30 billion, uh, their third largest shareholder, which is an institution, institutional shareholder from the UK, I believe, came out publicly against it. And the argument that that, that um, shareholder made was that CN was betting the future of the company on this merger because if the merger did not go um, as CN anticipated, in other words, if they did not get a favorable ruling from the STB, that CN uh, potentially would suffer significant financial harm. Because if you recall, this is all assumed to take place um, through a process where CN would actually purchase the KCS assets, they would be held in trust pending STB approval, and then once the STB approved the merger, then CN would formally take over KCS and operational, et cetera, changes would begin. But the problem is that until the STB rules, um, CN will not know if they've been successful. A year may go by between the actual transfer of the money and the ruling from the STB. And if the STB rules against them, they may be stuck with an asset that they have paid KCS $30 billion for that they now need to sell in the marketplace out of the trust um, and likely at distressed prices because it's like any commercial transaction, right? If the potential buyer knows that the seller has to sell, the price is probably gonna go down. So that's the argument that was being made by CN Shoulders. If this goes the wrong way, you're gonna be in trouble because you're gonna have taken on about $20 billion worth of debt and then you're going to be left with a distressed asset that you need to get rid of. So lots more to come on the KCS merger issue. I mean, this is far from the end. I expect that CP's uh, media campaign will likely continue um, and will accelerate as the STB process begins in earnest. Um, so much more to come over the next uh, 12 to 15 months, I would say. Yeah, definitely a lot of risk, obviously, as we've as we've discussed and you just mentioned and, and it, you know, CN clearly must recognize that because they're doing a lot of work with, with groups and shipper groups, particularly to try and, you know, provide a bit more details on what this would mean for them. Something that I've been seeing a little bit is, is that, um, you know, the real value for CN could be in the, in the intermodal side of this transaction or the businesses that drives is, is this a particularly big play for them on on that side is that the most attractive part of this to to secure more market share in intermodals because we know that's a, that's a competitive part of the the real business uh, or one of the only parts competitive parts of the real business 
Yeah, intermodal, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but intermodal is not an insignificant part of the KCS uh, portfolio. Interestingly, KCS, if I recall, um, their market portfolio is fairly well balanced, much like CN's. You know, CN is often touted its um, resilience, if you will, in the marketplace to the fact that uh, its portfolio of business or its book of business, as J.J. Rouet would often say, you know, is not overly reliant on any one um, economic sector. So you've got grain that represents 15 to 20%. You've got forest products. You've got, you know, other bulk commodities. You've got intermodal and it's all fairly well balanced. KCS actually looks a lot like that in some respects. Intermodal is a significant piece for KCS. Um, and it may be the case that, you know, they see significant growth in the, in the Canada slash US Mexico corridor for, for uh, intermodal traffic in the coming years. CP, just by, for comparison, is, is not exactly that kind of an animal from a market perspective. They're very heavily dependent on bulk, um, grain and coal and potash and sulfur to be specific. Um, so acquiring KCS for CP would actually, I think, result in a net diversification of their market exposure because it would bring you know, a more balanced uh, level to some of their portfolios that they're small in, for instance, forest products um, these days. Okay, interesting. So the CN move is, is potentially partly a defensive move against uh, competition or, or increased CP movement into inter intermodal potentially. Um, okay, well, on the topic of intermodal melts, I think we'll give the, the listeners a bit of a preview for next week. Uh, I've, I've mentioned a few times on, on the podcast around the issues in the container supply chain and the, and the issues being faced by grain shippers and getting access to export containers. I think we'll take a bit of a deep dive on that next week after we uh, talk about week, the week 46 report. So uh, we look forward to that. For those of you who would like to see the Ag Transport Coalition reports, go to www.agtransportcoalition.com. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye.